When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. This is a podcast where we explore thoughts and philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Uh, as many of you guys will know, um, lots of the episodes have been on philosophy. Some have been on theology. Very few have been on the nature and life aspect. So uh, I'm super excited for my guest today, Greg Bashir. And uh, Greg has a YouTube channel, which is one of my favorites. It's called Greg's Turtle Haven. And you guys got to check it out. If you like turtles, you like frogs, even if you don't, the dude is so good with videography that it's just aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm a big fan of the podcast. So, so dude, I don't even know. There's so many spots I want to jump into. But maybe just let's start with how would you get into turtles? Uh, just growing up in Florida, um, there was just floor, you know, there's all, there was just always turtles and reptiles around and, um, a lot of the parts that we had lived in, we kind of moved around a lot and it was like every place we moved, there wasn't like a lot of other little kids. There was just empty lots and kind of wilderness. And, um, you know, there was just always Florida box turtles, gopher tortoises, soft shells, cooters. I mean, it was it, it being a kid and, you know, how easily accessible all of it was. It just mm-hmm. like, it just like captured me pretty early on and you know never really let go and i think a bit of it i kind of came by honest because my dad had you know a colony of box turtles as a kid in kentucky and they they all lived in like a fenced backyard and did really well in that in that kind of layout so it kind of makes sense yeah dude that's that's all my i got my love for turtles from my dad as well and he would take me out looking for them and stuff Where, where did you live in florida where'd you grow up uh, so I was born in Fort Lauderdale, but lived around like Vero Beach and Sebastian mostly. Okay. Um, and in, in those areas, it's, I mean, Vero Beach is still very like rural in a lot of parts. And so is Sebastian and, um, they're just kind of smaller towns on the East coast of Florida. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting that you went the turtle route and not like the gator route. You didn't become a, a gator boy. You're not like, I, I like those too, but it's, it's not really like feasible you know, most of the time, you know, I, I, I played with little alligators and, you know, I got in trouble for bringing stuff home and all yeah. like any other kid. But yeah. uh, uh, I liked Cayman as a kid. I remember going to pet stores and staring at the Cayman in the tank because back then Florida in the late 80s and early 90s was like the Wild West for captive reptiles. So they had Caymans in pet stores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You would walk in. I remember there was a pet store in Melbourne that we would go to. And it would be, be full of like little baby Florida snappers, soft shells. It was like a 150 gallon tank and it would have Florida snappers, uh, cooters. And then there would be like uh, dwarf came in, speck came in and some kind of crocodile in there because this was like 89 or 90, maybe 91. And like okay. they still could just have whatever in there. And, you know, yeah. Florida was Dude, completely different than it is now. Yeah, that's insane. And now those 
there's like invasive species all around because of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say it's because of stuff getting released, and I think that there's a, a small amount of stuff that's released, but I think just some stuff escapes and yeah. lives. Yeah, you know, I mean, as if if you've been keeping reptiles for any amount of time, you know that stuff escapes, mm-hmm. and there's a big difference in you know living somewhere where your savanna monitor gets loose, and you know you ain't gonna make it, and then right. you know maybe you live somewhere where it could get loose and it could live, and it becomes a problem. So yeah. Um, well, Florida is such a cool place. I've always been obsessed with Florida because uh, when I started getting into turtles, I realized there's like a Florida breed for everything. It's like a Florida flavor. There's like Florida box turtle, Florida snapping turtle. And then you look through the snakes, you look through the frogs. And it's like this wild jungly place that's like unique to Earth. It's like this this one spot where it's like this jungle paradise kind of place where just a bunch of old ladies live, I guess, too. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's very unique. I mean, I always um, kind of tell people the same thing is like, when you get into peninsular Florida, it's like it just drops into this whole different, like place from the rest of the US. I mean, yeah. you can get into like, you know, southern parts of Georgia, Alabama, or the panhandle, but it's, it's not like it is once you drop off into like the peninsula. And, um, you know, a good example is if you're a snapping turtle guy, like, like myself is the mm-hmm. Florida snapping turtles from peninsular Florida. They physically look different. They're built yeah. different. They're more aggressive. And, you know, they, they just fit in with that whole Florida vibe of just more stuff to compete with. Yeah, it's 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 like uh, they look like Bowser. I think everyone says, you know, Bowser snapping turtle or whatever. Or he's a he's an alligator snapper. Like he looks like a Florida snapper to me. He's got like <laughs> spikes. He's all aggressive. Like they're more extreme. They hide more. They attack more. Uh, yeah. Another thing that that first uh, put me onto the Florida flavor of animals was the florida uh soft shell which apparently is super there's a bunch of them down there yeah but you know i used to, i had two two little babies when i was a kid and they get huge man there's big so i went down there for a conference and uh during our free time i'm off looking in ponds and stuff like that and there's this little tiny pond with uh, a little um fountain in it and there's like 20 or 25 florida soft shells in it just on the side of the road just chilling it's crazy yeah yeah, and that, that's that's such a, a Florida thing is to just be somewhere random with some random body of water, and it's going to be completely filled with soft shells, cooters, you know, all kinds of, of stuff like that. And, you know, the neat thing about Florida soft shells is, is like, physically, they're a little bit more similar to, like, Asian soft shells and Nile hmm. soft shells than spinies and smooths that we have. Yeah. I know, grew up, growing up in Florida, the same thing. I was so used to Floridas. And then when I got to Georgia and saw spinies, I remember thinking that they just, they look so different. Yeah. Um, they're, they're amazing group of turtles. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so you, you kind of played with gators. It's not feasible, but you're also, you don't really like strike me as a snake guy either, though. I, I mean, I am a snake guy. I got a snake sitting right next to me, you know, okay. in my office. Um, I, I think it's because on my YouTube channel, I don't really show my snakes that often. I did a couple um, episodes or videos where I would show them mm-hmm. and just completely tank. It's like throwing a softball into the dark, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, there's nobody that really wanted to see this. So I don't yeah. really show it, but yeah, I, I love bull snakes, king snakes. Okay. Um, I really want to get this uh, Texas indigo at the shop around the corner from my house. And um, those are beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big snake guy. I just I think most of what I do with snakes, um, I just like you know road cruising and seeing them and photographing okay. them and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I at one point in the early 2000s, I had a huge snake collection, 
And uh, it was fun, but it was a bit more overwhelming for, for whatever reason. It felt more overwhelming than Turtles. And, yeah. you know, my, my room looked like a little Brian Barczyk collection of tubs. So <laughs> I just I, I got out of it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Then uh, a third thing I want to ask you about is uh, amphibians. So it seems like you're a reptile guy. Is that a mistake too? I mean, I, I, I really just like all reptiles and amphibians. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last few years, I got more into salamanders and, and stuff like that. Um, kind of realized in the last few years of herping that Georgia is kind of Georgia and a couple states here in the southeast are kind of the mecca for salamanders. There's more salamanders oh, wow. in the Smoky Mountains than there is in the entire rest of the world. Wow. Um, and they're just, I mean, they just described a new species a few weeks ago. And that happens almost every year. Jeez. Um, because they, they just get so fractured because, you know, a home range, there, there's one here called the Pigeon Mountain Salamander. And it's because it lives on one side of this mountain. <laughs> And it's just, it looks sort of like a slimy with like a big orange or tan thing up its back. And it's uh-huh. just unique to that small area. And so it's easy for them when they're in, in these little locked off areas to speciate. So um, they're, they're just, they're really neat. And, you know, they're, um, there's something about them I, I, that appeals to me. I love shooting photos of them and making videos, yeah. even if, even if other people maybe don't appreciate it that much. I, I love them anyway. Yeah. Well, that's, that's so good to hear, man. I'm, I'm, I think we're really similar in that. Like I would have had gators growing up if I could have. And uh, my mom would never let me have a snake. So I had like a turtle collection. She just hated snakes, but I really want a a smooth green grass snake. Mm -hmm. I I love those. They're so cool. And again, it's my pops. My dad told me all these stories about him catching them when he's a kid. So it's just deep in here. Like I need that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and then I love, I love reptile amphibians as well. Frogs, turtles. I wish I had your skill, man. So another thing I want to talk about was, you you're in this world of turtles, which is a subset of like the herpetology world. Um, but then you are you're a skater, and then you're also is your main job like uh, photography and videography? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I do these, like freelance photo and video. Yeah, you got these three worlds, uh, and everyone's different. You might have some overlap, but you're living in different worlds with different language games where this yeah. means something here and this means something over here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's like I, I found, like, whatever things that you can totally nerd and dork out on, and I just went all into each of them. Yes. Dude, I'm, I'm exactly the same way. I wonder if it's, like, the collector in us or something, but, yeah, I live in, like, all these different worlds. And so it's funny, people listening to this podcast will know I really like philosophy and some will know I really like theology and they won't know that I, I really, really like turtle and stuff, man. Like you might hear my, my giant African bullfrog croaking because when I do a podcast, it sounds like I'm farting, but it's my frog. <laughs> um, how'd you get into like, I want to know about photography. How'd you get into that? Um, I mean, it, it, it's funny. That was um, basically through skateboarding. I mean, um, in the when I was in high school in the mid 90s, um, skateboarding back then was very DIY. It wasn't popular at all. This was before like X Games and Tony yeah. Hawk Games and all that stuff. And um, it, every, if you wanted to like make videos or, or do anything like that, it was all very DIY. So, you know, you would have your group of friends and somebody would have a video camera, whether it was like they stole their dads or yeah. they saved up and bought like a really crappy one from Sears or whatever. And, you know, we would all film each other and inevitably somebody's going to get like really into it. And I think like, I think that obsessive part of my brain, it was just like every time I would film like my buddy do a trick or I would want to do something and he would film it. I'd have like a vision of what it was supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. So 
I think by wanting to always get that better, um, that was where I started getting into filming and the technical aspects of it. And then, um, so we, so me and my buddies started filming each other with like little handy cams skating. And then I think it was, uh, junior and senior year I took photography. And when I started taking photography, I was like, Oh, it's kind of the same thing. And then through photography, I learned more of the technical aspects and mm-hmm. framing and, um, uh, just how to shoot better. And I really ended up like doing both. Photography was more of a pain in the butt back then because you had to do dark room and develop your own oh, yeah. film. And you didn't have like a thing to look at on the back of the camera to know what you just shot. You yeah. shot and then, you know, hoped several for several days that you got it right. <laughs> so, but, and, and by doing all that stuff, by the time I came out of high school, I was um, pretty knowledgeable of what I was doing. And I, one of my first gigs was shooting my mom's boss's daughter's wedding and I'd never even been to a wedding. I didn't even know what happened. And oh, it was man. funny because it was a Star Wars themed wedding. So I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, like they, they came down the aisle to like the same music as um, A New Hope when they get the medals. Mm-hmm. You know, and they even had the track of the Wookiee at the end. Like, Dang, know? that's insane. So I thought every wedding was Star Wars. <laughs> but um, I, I filmed it, did my best. And then um, the following fall, the the mother of the bride got married. And so here I was back again for my mom's boss, like now I was shooting photos of her wedding the following fall on film hmm. and hoping for the best. So, um, yeah, I, I think the experiences of shooting skating and then just be kind of thrown into the fire on my first couple jobs. I, yeah. I, I fed off of that. I loved it, you know, and then I yeah. went to school for it at a, like a two year college. And before I even graduated, I was doing work like actual work at Turner and um, mm-hmm. filming bands and music videos and concerts. So I was just yeah. like, dude, I'm, I'm down. This is easy. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Well, it's, it's so cool. I think the reason um, a lot of us in like the, the herb world are so excited about you is because you, you film stuff with good quality. Like so much of it is just, you know, popped out. I saw this turtle. Look at this. And that's cool too. I like that. If, if you see turtles, I'll, I'll look at your video, but we, we appreciate you because you're so good at it. You have such a good eye for it. And I think that's been really huge and really cool for the hobby too. Cause we get to see the animals in our tanks, but I mean, you're out herping. Can you, can you explain what, what is herping? Yeah. Well, thanks for the compliment. I, I'm glad that uh, you appreciate the way I film. I, I tried to uh, kind of emulate. Um, I used to lo- I used to like the um, Marty Stauffer's Wild America and these mm-hmm. epic shots they would get on film. So I always tried to emulate that with what I was doing. But um, as far as herping, I mean, I I'm just doing what I've done since I was like seven years old, mm-hmm. going out with a backpack with a sandwich in it and a field gun. So, yeah. um, you know, my motivation for herping is it's funny. Like I do all the captive stuff, but during the week, especially in 2020, when, when work was pretty slim during the week, like most of my time is spent herping and trying to come up with something different each week and trying to find something that um, maybe the average person, because I I try to keep it where herp nerds would like it, Mm. but somebody maybe new or on the outskirts of knowledge you know, would find it interesting. Like, uh, like the Barber's map turtle episodes, for example, Yeah, really cool native turtle. Um, they're protected. Um, and, but they're so unique, you know, and something that maybe most people haven't seen this turtle with a gigantic head that's capable of, you know, crushing these, you know, thick bivalves. You know? Yeah. So I, 
I just want to, you know, I just want to be able to kind of spread knowledge and appreciation for stuff and, and maybe bring something to somebody's living room or, or whatever that they just haven't seen or known of. Yeah. Do you, um, so now that you have a, a YouTube channel and, uh, you're monetized, I'm monetized, like we're trying to trying to make some money off of this. Do you, has it affected like your joy for herping? Do you think like I need to get my camera or are you able to still enjoy it? Um, I don't know if it's affected the joy, but I do have, I definitely have had times where whether it's the herping or my last trip through Florida, there's been, definitely been a couple times where I was so preoccupied with this mental checklist of what I needed to get shots of how much I had for, to make episodes and all that stuff that I, before I know it, it'd be two or three days later. And I would just feel like it all went by so fast because I was so busy with this mental checklist. So I'll try to take a day and just sit and enjoy it. And so when I go herping, I know that, um, say if it's a a video where I want to try and show some strike neck musk turtles or something, and I'm going to go to a place and I know that it has them, you know, I might try and film an intro or whatever. I'll get all the footage and then to kind of keep my sanity a little bit, I'll put the the phone or the camera down and I'll just sit and enjoy the sunset. Hmm. Um, There's a guy that I follow on uh, YouTube and it's Chad Beef. It's Chad B photography or CB media. Actually it's CB media on YouTube. He's a guy from Atlanta that moved to Thailand and he makes these epic videos traveling around Thailand. And at at the end of every adventure he goes on, he has a beer at sunset. Hmm. And I got, I just got so into watching his videos that I was like, you know what? This guy's got the right idea. Like instead of stressing about all the video stuff, I should at the very least of the day, just sit and enjoy the sunset. Yeah. So that's kind of been my thing is to kind of slow down and appreciate the moment a little bit. Yeah. Dang, that's that's good advice, man. That, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna use that. So for, for the listeners, herping is kind of an unfortunate word because of herpes. Like <laughs> like it just yeah. But it comes from her I think it's herpetos is the Greek. And uh those who, who know their Bibles, uh Romans one uh talks about, you know, suppressing the truth and worshiping idols and reptiles and creeping things. And that reptiles and creeping things is, is herpetos. So it's it's reptiles and creeping things, and so that's been taken over into the science and herpetology, the study of reptiles and amphibians, and so you know that's why we're talking, you know, frogs and, and uh, salamanders and turtles and snakes and all that stuff. So herping is this thing that I used to get made fun of for, uh, but now it's cool, and now there's a whole community on YouTube. But you go out and you're like, I want to go see a snapping turtle, so I'm going to go to this pond where I know they're at. I'm going to dig in the mud. I'm going to find one. I'm going to take some sweet pictures. And I used to hide my my turtle love. Like even through high school, I was a I was a jock and played football, you know, wrestled. And uh, when we were done with Saturday videos, I'm out in the ponds looking for turtles, looking around, making sure none of my classmates would see me. <laughs> but now it's it's okay. It's it's fun. It, you've you've helped to make it cool again, man. So appreciate that. Yeah, I I don't know if I've helped to make it cool. I <laughs> I hope that I I just make people appreciate it more and just feel comfortable doing it. I mean. Same thing. When I was in high school, I kind of kept it a little bit, you know, I mean, when you're in high school, you're a teenager and you're awkward and anything makes you insecure. And Mm -hmm. I think when I was in my 20s and skating a lot, there were definitely times where I would kind of keep it on the down low. But then we'd be at a skate spot and I'd see a creek behind the building we were at. Like, dude, I got to go pee. And I go piss in the woods and I'd tiptoe down to the creek and come back with a snake or a snapping turtle and Mm -hmm. scare my friends. And um, and they, they started getting to know me as like, the guy that's into that and they thought it was cool. Yeah. You know, I have buddies that grew up in like Huntington beach and they'd never seen a snapping turtle in their lives. And mm-hmm. 
they thought it was crazy that I would just go jump in the water and yank this, you know, dragon out of there and scare the the heck out of everybody with it. So um, I I definitely got more comfortable with it through my 20s. And by the time I was in my 30s, like, it was like, you know, just one of the ways I would just divide up my time. And, you know, obviously having like personal collections of stuff from the time I was like seven years old also, Mm -hmm. you know, as an effect, because sometimes, you know, people would come over to your house and they'd be like, oh, wow, I didn't know you were into this. You know? <laughs> yeah, especially living in, in different contexts like you do, like I do, where it's like you, you've talked to this dude for five years about skating, about, you know, videos, whatever. Uh, and they, they don't know, just hadn't come up yet, maybe, or they haven't seen you jump in the water yet. But for, for me, I, I kind of found an acceptable route was I would go fishing with my friends all the time. And I'm always keeping an eye looking for the snapping turtles. And, and then it would come out and be like, all right, dude, uh, I, I'm done. I need to go get that turtle right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something that's really cool too. So we got like, like Steve Irwin, I know, I'm sure you grew up watching him too. I used to always be like, dude, do an episode on alligator snapping turtles. Like just do that. They live in, in our country. Um, at, or, there's like all sorts of different uh, wildlife shows. And I always wanted them to do, our country you know do the states do yeah. florida because we got so much cool stuff and so that's what i love you're finding these giant uh, alligator snapping turtles you have like you have names for them you know the creeks they live in and stuff can you explain like well we talked about turtles i guess how do you get into alligator snapping turtles and we can start going into the the big ones that you find uh yeah i mean growing up alligator snapping turtles were like the t-rex of turtles so mm-hmm. it was like the number one coolest possible you know and and so growing up in South Florida, they didn't live there. Um, okay. I always, you know, like everybody else, I think every, you wish they did and yeah. you, know, you would catch, you know, commons or whatever. And you'd be like, oh, it's an alligator snapper. Then you'd look oh, at yeah. ah, it's a common or it's a Florida, you know, which is still cool. Yeah. Um, and then when I moved to Georgia in my teen years, kind of went through not really looking for them and not really knowing a lot about how to look for them. And where I live near Atlanta, I mean, for decades they, they told us like, they only live in South Georgia. They only live in South Georgia. You know, like the book, the book rules said yeah. they live there. And like, you know, the turtles never got a copy of that rule book. <laughs> and um, it wasn't until um, 2011, they knew that they were 40 minutes South of Atlanta. And then in 2012, I found a hatchling um, just on the outskirts of Atlanta. Wow. So I found them further North than they've ever been documented. When I found that hatchling, it was funny because it was a hatchling and I was just out kind of herping and taking pictures of loggerhead musks and, and stuff like that. And I thought it was a common snapper when I first found it because the ones here, the, the head is shaped different and the, mm-hmm. the shell. And so when you see the hatchlings, they don't have that pointy head. They have like a little round head. So I thought it was a, a common. Then I flipped it over and looked at it closer. And I was like, this is an alligator snapper. And, you know, my mind was trying to rationalize it. I was like, oh, somebody released a pet. So I kind of took a photo of it. And then I was, as I was photographing, I just was noticing it was different because I'd had them growing up and everything. Mm-hmm. This one's different. And um, I took photos and then I realized I took lousy photos and I took them on like an app. So oh. it was like early days, this was like 2012. So Instagram had just started and uh-huh. I was on Android and Instagram wasn't on Android. So I took it on like an app that was like fake Instagram so it took <laughs> it with a horrible filter on it. And then I let it go. Oh man. And so when I got back to the car and I wasn't in the sun, I realized my photos were garbage and I True. couldn't buy the turtle again. So that was in like October. So it was a pretty fresh hatchling. So I knew that um, spring of 2013, it was on and I was just going to start finding them. And I, I did. I just started finding them 
left and right. And what it is, is that was up the upper Flint river drainage. And they just, you know, the turtles never got a rule book and they just, yeah. they come all the way up the Flint river, basically to where it starts under the airport and all those tributaries, you know, they can go into there and they do really well in that habitat. And, and it's really cool because, you know, they're um, a really good example of what an untrapped, uncommercially hit population looks like. Yeah. And with how long they live, you know, you've got these different generations of adults and then sub-adults and juveniles. And, you know, in certain areas, they're one of the most abundant turtles there is because there's just so many generations of them. Yeah. And they just, they hide so well. Mm -hmm. So once I started learning more about what to look for and how to find them, I mean, I'd been herping my whole life, so I knew how to find certain things. And then once I started realizing what to look for on the bottom and what they eat and the, the signs they leave behind, um, eventually it just got to where, you know, I just figured out, you know, the best ways to find them and what to look for. So, yeah, dude, that's something that's really cool about your videos is, uh, I live in Illinois and like all our rivers just suck. They're all muddy and stuff. So it's really hard to walk through. Plus it's, it's very polluted and stuff. You cut your feet all the time. You used to always do that, but it's, it's hard. You can't see the bottom in your videos. It's so cool. Cause you're like, there's a tail drag. And, yeah. uh, for those watching the YouTube, there's a, a big picture. That's Greg's picture of a, a Swanee alligator snapping turtle, which is, is it another species or is it a subspecies? Yeah, yeah they're, they're separate species. They were separated okay. at the species level because the genetic um, differentiation was just so significant. Um, yeah. And they, I mean, they're physically, they're, they're significantly different, but you okay. really have to look at the other species of alligator snappers side by side to really yeah. appreciate it. But when you do see them, if you've seen a lot of alligator snappers and then you see a swan, you're like, oh, this is like a right. different turtle. Yeah. And so, so, um, there's these giant turtles and they, everyone always says how they get up to like 200, 250 pounds. And I think in the wild, they, they probably don't get that big that often. Probably a hundred pounds is like a very big size alligator snapping turtle, which is gigantic still. But you can see in his videos, he'll say, look, there's a tail drag. And, and you can see it in the sand that this turtle has been rooting around and dragging his gigantic tail through. That's so cool. I love how you can, you've been doing it so long. You're like, yeah, I know what's up. I can just look at this and see it. Well, and you know, the, to the point about the the water clarity, it's, it's, tr trust me, it's not every time I go out, the water is clear. I, okay. This year was horrible. Like yeah. it was so hard to get water clarity this year. Like one of my favorite places was only clear two or three times the entire year. They've done so much like development upstream, agricultural oh, impact. And then we had so much rain. Um, I don't know if that stream will ever be as good as it was for, for looking for turtles yeah. um, ever again, uh, unfortunately. But the times when it does get clear, it's funny. Like, especially those, those big males, they move a lot of real estate when they're coming in and out of the bank right. and everything. And, um, the places that they really like, especially at the bottom is Sandy. It mm -hmm. looks like a gopher tortoise mound, you know, a gopher tortoise, when it excavates a burrow, it has this big, like pitcher's mound looking thing in front of the burrow. And yeah. these big males, when they're going out from under the bank or under these logs, they leave these big, you know, burrows and, you know, their, their primary activity is from like 2am to sunrise. And so if you get to these streams at 6am or sun, whenever sunrise is, you'll actually see sediment just pouring out from under banks and under logs where they've gone back up under there and they're trying to dig their way back in. So you can kind of yeah. see where they all go. And, and that's pretty cool. And it, it's cool to see that, you know, the same individuals will use the same area for a long time, if, as long as food's good. And as long as they're not, you know, being bothered. 
Yeah. That's so sweet, dude. Uh, I wanted to ask about water clarity for the animals. So that stream being cloudy now, will that affect, like, did, how much do the loggerhead musks and the other turtles, how much does water clarity affect their hunting? Uh, I, I would say it doesn't really affect it that much. I mean, you do find higher concentrations of loggerhead musks and clear water, but I think it may have less to do with water clarity and more to do with amount of snails okay muscles so probably water quality over clarity okay um, and if the if the water is silty and and seemingly dirty um for for filter feeders like clams and and mussels and stuff that's actually good for them so they'll actually get really abundant even though the water's not clear so it, it it's kind of funny how there's like different elements and it, it it's not always cut and dry um for alligator snapping turtles i mean they have that that nose that they have i mean you can see it in the background mm-hmm. this. it's like a dog's nose it's spongy it's got little pores in it um mm-hmm. and you can feel it with your finger if you're careful you can feel <laughs> that that thing it, it's just a, a sensory powerhouse and i've watched them when they feed and when they're feeding on stuff that's buried in the sand they're they're kind of taking it and dabbing it you know and picking yeah. up little like sensory cues and then when they when something's there they just push it into the sand and then they start digging and they kind of make like a little snow angel in the bottom where they take <laughs> both arms and they just kind of scoop it out yeah and um it, it's really cool to see and so i think that's how um in in places like south georgia louisiana where the water is that black water i think that's how they're finding food okay yeah that's really um th- that brings me to another point okay so so you got Flint River. Um, that's another Instagram that you have is Flint River, Flint River yep. Turtle. And I actually, I started following you when you were Dead Snake Greg, or you still have that one, I think, too. And then I found this other guy, and it was Greg's Turtle Haven. I was like, this guy's awesome, man. And I realized it was you. And then I, I found Flint River Turtles. I'm like, this guy's even better. Holy cow. And it was you again, <laughs> dude. It's just funny each time I find these cool ones. But in the Flint River, you talked about the head shape and how they're um, they have smaller heads as, as juveniles and they look more like commons. Are they a, a subset of? So, can, you, can you explain the, the two and how it was three and then the subset kind yeah. of stuff? So in the so previous to the 2014 paper, alligator snapping turtles were all Taminkii, but okay. it was well known and it's mentioned in Pritchard's book that certain areas they were physically different. Like they knew that they the Swanee population was a little different. They knew that the ones out of the Flint River had bigger heads and less super marginals. Um, and then they knew that the ones out west had more super marginals. A lot of times you'll see four. Um, and Can you explain real quick what's a super marginal? So those are the extra scutes along the side of the shell. Um, in most populations, whether it's Suwannee or Westerns, they're pretty good size and pretty noticeable. But for whatever reason, in the Flint River, they're really small. And, and some of them, they're absent. I've got photos yeah. of a dead one that has no super marginals. Which wow. You know, there's no record of that before, but a lot of times the ones I find they'll either have like two and like, if they have two, then one of them's poorly developed or they'll just have one. And they're, they're real small. They look like a sticker. So I just (laughs) on the shell. So it's really interesting that they have that. And then, um, but when they did the 2014 paper, they started looking at river drainages and it was, you know, they had college students and everybody sampling these rivers from the Trinity and the Nietzsche's in Texas all the way to the Suwannee. So they were sampling all these rivers and doing genetic work and all that stuff. And then they found that the main genetic differences were, I think it's Trinity and Nietzsche's in Texas all the way to mobile or, or no, to, sorry, to Pascagoula. And then there was Pascagoula and Pearl 
and then there was Mobile and Pensacola, and then there was um, Apalachicola and Suwannee. And then looking at those different groups, they were saying the ones with the most, like the highest spike of genetic differences was they grouped all the, that, those ones, you know, west of uh, Apalachicola, they were just the Western and then Apalachicola drainage, which is Flint, Chattahoochee. Um, they join and become the Apalachicola and then the Choctawatchee, Ikenfina Creek, um, the Ocklockney River, um, those all became Apalachicola. And then the Suwannee River drainage was further over and more separate and it became the Suwannees. And then, um, so they were, and then the paper came out and they kind of listed the, the ways to tell the differences. And one of them they were looking at was the marginals over the tail. And the Suwannees have like a really like big, wide round, it kind of scoops out around the tail. Mm-hmm. And um, that's because those two super marginals are actually the same bone as the ones immediately next to them. Wow. So as the turtle grows and the shell expands, those bones are expanding like this around the tail. And they're just kind of dragging those super marginals over the tail with them. Yeah. So that's how they get that like really wide, you know, kind of lunate shape to the marginals over the tail. And then the Western and the Apalachicola um, have kind of more triangular. And the the problem is, is in the Westerns and the Apalachicolas, there's so much variability in that. Okay. And every animal, there's individuals. Um, I've caught um, Tamikii in Alabama that had a, you know, a round Sewanee-shaped notch over the tail. Hmm. I've caught an Apalachicola in the Flint that had, you know, that shape. It seems in those, it's a recessive trait. And then in the Sewanee, it's a dominant trait. Yeah. And then I watched a video from FWC and they had a Sewanee with, you know, more of a narrow notch. And so that's the recessive trait in them. But um, there is physical bone differences. So at any rate, um, they were separated in three species. And then a guy named Folk wrote a paper that he couldn't tell the difference in the Apalachicolas from the Westerns. And he had looked at a handful from Spring Creek in South Georgia, and he'd looked at a bunch from Pensacola, which is actually a Western, but he wrote his paper and said he couldn't tell the difference. So there's no difference. And then all his buddies pushed his paper through and then now it's no longer recognized. So that's how taxonomy works. So dang. Well, so what do you think about that? It's, it's low hanging fruit for another student to come through because they're the, the ones in the Flint, the Chattahoochee, the Apalachicola are to me, I look at a lot of alligator snapping. Right. Samples. I've I've had my hands on on all of them, and I'll tell you now they're they're different. You know, you can look at the skull and the and the ones from the Flint Apalachicola drainage. The eyes are closer to the tip of the snout. Yeah. And what that does is that allows that rear part of the head to expand more for more musculature for eating muscles. And that's their and, diet in that river. And and the skull's thicker. You know, when I was down at Peter Richards Chelonian Research Institute, I had a skull from the largest uh, Sawaniensis on record. And then I had a, a skull from one in South Georgia and the skulls were almost close in size, but the one from South Georgia was thicker than that 200 pound Swaniensis. Wow. And it's just because their skull needs to be really rigid because I've watched them eat when they're eating off the bottom. They're not, they're not cherry picking those clams and mussels. They're scooping and they're getting gravel and rocks. They're grinding all that stuff up. So they need their skull to not fracture. Yeah. Well, um, what are Swannies? What's their diet? How is their diet different, I guess? Um, from what I've observed, um, 
they're more similar to like westerns uh like they're more of a generalist and an active predator so i i remember the first time i observed a lot of swanensis activity i was at a place and it was around sunset and it was just like somebody flipped a switch these little snouts were coming up of all these juveniles and they were moving real quick and i'd never seen that before all the alligator snapping turtles i've seen have been pretty deliberate and pretty slow and the Swaniensis, they were coming up, poking their snout, and then they were just jamming their head between rocks and moving <laughs> stuff around and moving very quickly. Um, and then I've seen a lot of videos of them in the uh, Santa Fe River where there's like these guys that go looking for fossils. And they're, you know, so they're diving these, you know, these rivers down there and they'll come across, you know, Swanee alligator snappers pretty commonly and they bolt like soft shells. So they're, yeah. they're, they're much more, they seem to be more active and more, um, predatory i would say um i know that studies they have a lot of other turtles in their diet yeah um they they find mammals birds but you know also a lot of mollusks i mean their skull is really large and rigid as well yeah um but they're they're less of a specialist yeah is that so i was thinking about this when i was a kid i was like there's alligator snappers every lots of things have a Florida version. And I was like, I wonder if there's like a Florida version of alligator snapping turtles. Is that, is that the, the Swanee is, could we say that's like the Florida version or? Yeah. Yeah. I I would say, yeah, it it kind of, yeah. It makes me think like that too. Like, you know, when I, because when I see, you know, a Swanee, whether it's from South Georgia or Florida, I, you know, as soon as I get my hands on it and I'm looking at it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I'm so used to the ones I catch all the time. I see them and I'm like, wow, I, I don't know you, you know, like <laughs> just, you know, that the head being so different, the eyes are like a little bit different. The eyes are like a brighter, like a white. Um, yeah. and just, um, are they usually yellow too? The, yeah. So the, the yellow thing is, is like a, a whole interesting thing in that like, so with Swannies and the Apalachicolas, they're all going to turn yellow as adults. It's huh. just the ontogenetic change. Okay. Um, the Swannies, though, I've caught a few hatchlings, and I've noticed that they do seem to start off a lighter color, like a light tan or like a cream color. Hmm. And then, like, if you were to flip one over and look at the bottom, the little reticulations on the mm-hmm. bottom. I got some photos on my Flickr of a young one. I, I I bring these white backgrounds with me when I do these alligator snapping turtle things. So I'll, I'll go in the field and I'll put a white background down and shoot some photos. But oh, I thought you were bringing them home. I was like, dude, that's, that's a, no, no, no. I have like, I have like these like construction papers because what I'll do is I'll go to Walmart and I'll just get those when I, I head out in the field, if I want to do something on a white background. So yeah, I just lay them down, you know, like crop out. So all you see is the white background hit with good. flash. And, um, but, but yeah, you can see on the bottom of those swannies, it's like, much lighter color yeah and it seems like as they get older they just get lighter and lighter whereas apalachicolas start off the darkest okay things but as they get older um the yellow color really starts to come on and and become pretty bright so yeah well um you you mentioned about the the skull size of the apalachicola and i want that made me think of bullet tooth tony and the story is is sad but like it's it's a happy story now so can you tell us what's up with with tony yeah he is a alligator snapping turtle that um i was out herping and there's a spot that i've i've gone to and it's a place where like you know my buddy i don't know if you know nkf herping my buddy noah Mm. um we had gone one night with his dad and it's a it's a really small area and it's really popular for with fishermen there's a lot of alligator snappers there and i was there one day and um 
I had found them just kind of laying in shallow water. And I was like, oh, dude, I just walked up on an alligator snapper in the middle of the day. This is awesome. And then he wasn't moving. And I was like, ah, oh, he's dead. I'm going to have to find some fire ants and, you know, get the skull and the shell, you know. Yeah. And then I picked him up. He started to move. And I, I saw that his head had this, this big wound, you know, kind of in the back where all the musculature is. And it, would, it had turned black. It was all infected. Hmm. And um, so I saw that he was alive. But because they were protected, I knew, I was like, well, I can't really do anything. I was like, I'm going to move him, put him in somewhere safe. You know, the water was flowing. So I was like, he'll be in like, you know, clean flowing water. I'll come back back tomorrow. Came back the next day, still sitting there, hadn't moved an inch from where I put him. Wow. And um, I was like, well, I'll come back tomorrow, which what's, it, it's annoying because the place was like a 50 minute drive. <laughs> so every day I'm making this like one hour drive. Yeah. You know? Um. So by the third day he hadn't moved. And my thought was, you know, if somebody shot this thing and killed it, that's, you know, that's more lame than me trying to save it. Yeah. So I brought him back and um started treating it and um with uh kind of cleaning it out and some dry docking and he started to really start to get more active um and then eventually his all the black stuff started to come out and then uh one day i was pulling all that out it was just necrotic tissue and then Mm -hmm. in the the center of it was the slug whoa i have that around my house somewhere dang yeah and um so the slug came out and then it was just this big you know deep thing and it the bullet had gone in and gone alongside some of the bone where the muscle attaches so like when he opens and closes his mouth you would see that stuff like move inside there so i had you know taken good care of him and you know um then when i got my permit you know i just told him i was like look man i have this one here's the gps point where i got him you know um i i made the call to save him and, and they were you know okay with that you're not supposed to do that i wouldn't recommend anybody do that without asking first but i was just like i've got to do something instead of nothing yeah and um and just in the last you know couple of years he's um he's done really well and it in the beginning he was kind of janky because it he couldn't get those muscles to really work on oh, one side okay. when he would eat yeah kind of like popeye like <laughs> kind of chew one side of his head and then um you know now it, it's healed up so much and um you know now that I'm, I'm doing all these educational presentations. He's, he's a good animal to bring with me to talk about, you know, kind of the effects of just general ignorance, right. you know, like somebody for whatever reason caught him fishing and they thought like, Oh, this is annoying that you're biting my lure. So I'm going to shoot you in the head. And you know, that these animals are tough, yeah. you know, that, that, that brain's real small. So it's easy to miss. <laughs> That's right. And, um, so it, it's it's unfortunate people do that, and so my job as a as a certified Georgia wildlife educator is to spread, you know, better information and hopefully it's some appreciation. I would like for people that live here to not only know more about them but to be proud of them that you know we have these epic you know centurions that live in the water and they're yeah. serious and you know I I think are a lot cooler than a bald eagle. Seriously, yeah, that should be the the national animal there. Bullet Tooth Tony is that from Snatch? I forgot what movie it is. It is. He's the guy in Snatch that got shot in the head. Yeah, and he had like the little like silver tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's so good. Greg, can you show us on the shirt? Like, was yeah. it in his skull or was it in the muscle behind yeah, yeah. there? It, the bullet went in right here. Okay, so it was where this this musculature where it attaches right here. Yeah, it had like peeled back. So, but the bullet went right in there. Okay. And then so over time that musculature has kind of grown back. And there's that. just so much just meat in there that it just stopped yeah. the bullet. Yeah. 
That's yeah. crazy. And, and people that eat them, they'll tell you that that's like some of the best meat. Hmm. Cause they got these giant jaws are crushing, like you said, rocks and sand and gravel of snails. Yeah. 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 When you get into like those, those really big ones, those really old ones, you know, they, their growth slows down when they hit a certain point. And the ones up here, they're not really hitting a hundred pounds, but they're in these really small streams, yeah. and, you know, shallow flowing water. It doesn't really help them to be 125 pounds. So yeah. a big one up here is about 90, maybe a hundred. Okay. By the time they reach, you know, 75 pounds, their growth slows down so much that most of it growth goes into the head. So, you know, when you, when you find these guys that are old, they just have these, you know, the back of their head looks like a basketball. Yeah. And, um, it's just all that musculature. Dang, man. So what people don't get about having like random passions and stuff like that is, I don't, I don't follow like sports. I work for, for a sports ministry, but I don't really follow sports that much. Uh, I like wrestling and stuff like that, but how jacked people get about like the, the, uh, the playoffs or like something like that. Like they get so amped. If I were to see an alligator snapping turtle in a Creek, I would lose my mind. Like it would, it would just be it. Cause what people don't get, like you obsess over something for so long, you have them, you look at them in your tank all the time to see it in the wild is something different. Like that's, yeah. that's it. I've been looking for you forever. And here you are. And I, I still get it every single time. Yeah. You know, I, I've got them in my backyard and you know, and, the, and it's pretty natural setups, but if, if I go down to, you know, a stream that I know has them and I walk down to the water and there's one there, I still get that like adrenaline. I, yeah. I, it's like, as soon as I see one, I'm like, well, it's going to be a late night. Cause I'm not going to sleep, you know, <laughs> right, right. Night, you know, Dude. Um, and yeah. I, I've taken, I've taken friends out before that have never seen one in their life. And it's, it's really cool to see their appreciation for it. Cause he, I've taken a, a couple dudes out through, um, my buddy Noah and, uh, like it was one of them was like a guy from like out West or something. And it was funny. Cause I was like, this dude's never been in a Creek before in his life. Mm. I could tell like the way he's walking through there. And like, you know, at one point in that, in that night, he was carrying around like, you know, a 90 pound alligator snapper, yeah. you know, then I was going and getting more, you know, I just kept bringing them back and piling them up on the sand for these guys to look at. And um, it, it's really cool. And I, it's, you know, you can't do that with everybody, but through videos, yeah. you can kind of do that. And so that's like kind of the idea is like, I would love it if the average Joe started to appreciate them and be like, oh man, these really cool things live here. The, you know, as uh, Carl Franklin calls them, the, the Paul Bunyan of turtles. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, so this is what's cool. I had John Richards on and he kind of made alligator snapping turtles able to be pets like he he put that in there and now people a lot of people are studying herpetology i follow them all on instagram and it's because of the little turtle that they had when they were a kid and then what you're doing is you're taking that to the next level and showing us them in the wild and just for me dude i'm probably never gonna eat a turtle like just probably never gonna happen but um i'm also never gonna throw anything into a creek ever in my life like just because of who i am because i studied turtles my whole life and catch them and it's like dude what the heck like that was always something that triggered me super bad when someone would litter but like because of your videos there's going to be kids who grow up like that who are like i'm never going to litter no dude hey pick up your stupid net or take up your trout line what are you doing are you serious and it's just going to be more people being more conscientious because they love these animals and they say dude a freaking uh, alligator snapping turtle can get his neck caught on that do you really want that come on dude take your stupid trout line up yeah, I, I agree. And and the thing is, is no one needs a pet turtle. Like mm. no one, I don't need a pet turtle. I don't need a backyard filled with them. Mm. But 
I, I love them and there's a lot of them that need homes. And so, you know, I do it for that reason. I do it for education, but there's a lot of people that, you know, maybe they want a turtle, but they don't have means or they're yeah. not old enough or, you know, don't have their own house. But, you know, so maybe through videos, they can kind of, you know, get to enjoy them more. And I think maybe for some people, if they get to see what they are in the wild and what it takes, you know, what they really need, you know, maybe it would curb somebody from getting one that's not going to give it a great home and maybe they'd end up releasing it where they shouldn't, or maybe they would end up, you know, putting it on Craigslist or, or you know, doing something goofy that's not going to help the animal at all. And then maybe yeah. make the hobby look bad. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's why I like your, your channel is called Greg's Turtle Haven and you've taken in a lot of these guys. For me, I still, I still have a little bit of animosity towards red ears because you know, I mean, you know the story about red ears, and they're everywhere, and everyone gets them, and they're the reason people think that they have salmonella because they were on little, you know, little stores, had them up front. My dad would get them as a kid, and kids would lick them or put them in their mouth and get salmonella. But you take in, you take in red ears. Uh, can you just like warn the fans about red ear sliders? Yeah, I would say the biggest, the biggest warning with red eared sliders is just that they're not. I don't care who sells it to you and told you they won't get big or that they'll be easy. And, you know, I know they're at PetSmart and Petco and all the major shops, but, and the thing is, is a lot of times when you go into that reptile section, what's the cheapest animal there? It's mm. going to be those red-eared sliders and long run, they're going to be the most expensive. Mm. You know, you're going to end up having to get an aquarium or a stock tank or build a pond and, you know, you got to feed them, you got to clean them, you know, they're, they're more headache than a monitor lizard. Yeah. So like, you know, you're, you're better off like, you know, appreciating them at a park or a zoo or something like that. But like a red-eared slider is, you know, a lot of people get them and then they raise them up to a size. And, oh, well, we're going to go let them go in the wild. And the red-eared slider is so adaptable. They can take to eating vegetation. And now they've just pushed, you know, cooters because they're so ag aggressive about feeding and, mm -hmm. and taking over. They're going to push cooters out of their native, you know, grazing areas and they're going to eat all that. They can also, you know, eat and scavenge. So they're going to compete directly with, you know, uh, common musks and snappers and soft shells. Um, they're going to compete for basking areas with other basking turtles. Mm -hmm. And then they can also eat mollusks. I mean, I've seen them get expanded heads like map turtles. Wow. They're gonna push out map turtles and you know specialists like that. So, um, I would I would tell people don't ever release you know a red-eared slider. And if it if it if it's even a thought that you couldn't take care of it, just don't do it. You know, m my personal belief is probably a bit harsh, but I just don't think they should be sold anymore at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that I personally don't think pet stores should sell turtles anymore. Really that much at all because i just don't think i don't think the return for the pet store is that great i don't think the return that the animals get is that great mm -hmm. and it just kind of fuels that um that that desire of people to just buy something without a real plan yeah um and, and nobody gets a great deal out of it so yeah. that, that's just that's my opinion you know it just based on what i see and that you know during you know, March through October, every week somebody's trying to give me a red-eared slider. Right. Yeah, it's unreal, man. I, I part of me sometimes I can be pretty cynical, and I think I go in pet shops and I'm I see a turtle in a tiny tank, and I'm like, I have to get this. I have to buy this turtle right now. And I'm like, I can't. My wife will destroy me. But I wonder. Part of me wonders if they're doing that on purpose. But then, secondly, like turtles are dirty. They they take a lot of work. They you want to keep them clean. You want to 
especially with the tank, it's going to be even harder because you can't really make it bioactive and stuff like that. If someone were going, were watching this and wanted to get a turtle, like we both say, don't get a, a red ear. What's a good turtle for someone to get uh, if they're going to be responsible and say this is a lifetime commitment kind of thing? Uh, I would lean towards a captive bred uh, painted turtle. You know, okay. any, of the, any of the painted turtle species, they're going to be really forgiving of temperature, um, of food. You can, you know, you can go out of town for a few days and they're fine. Easy to house because they're small. So if you wanted to go the aquarium route, you know, you can get, you know, an eastern painted turtle and it'll do fine in a, you know, 75 to 100 gallon aquarium. Um, it can do fine in a, you know, a tractor supply, tough stuff, mm-hmm. you know, 110 gallon stock tank. I, that's, that's my personal I think everybody should just have one of those instead of an aquarium. The animals love it more. They're easy to take care of, easy to clean. Yeah. Um, and then if you didn't want to do a painted turtle, you could do like a male spiny soft shell. They're really awesome to watch swim. It's fun to watch them bury in sand. Um, they don't get very big. Most males max out around seven inches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm a huge fan of the musk turtles. Yeah. Um, there are people captive breeding uh, common musk turtles, the odoratus. Um, there's razorback musk turtles, which are a little bit bigger, but still great personality, still smaller than any red ear. Um, and then loggerhead musk turtles are really good. They're, as you start to get into like loggerheads and stripe necks, there's less people captive breeding them and more people poaching them. Okay. So there's more of a vetting process when you get those. Um, but those are really the the ones that I recommend the most, um, it, especially with, with co- something being cold hardy is really important because I, I recommend if you can get your turtle outdoors, it's like a night and day difference in how much healthier it is, how much natural behavior you're going to see. It's natural just a sunlight. animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got big plans, man. We got big plans for all this kind of stuff. I'm so excited for. I'm I'm living on campus here, finishing up my master's degrees, and when we're out of here, ponds and tough stuff and more turtles. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah. But I've I've been telling people to um to watch your video on on uh, you do one on musk turtles on which one's the best to have and stuff. So I'll put the link in the description too, so you can see once you see these musk turtles, it's it's insane. And all the ones that you mentioned are really fun turtles to watch. Uh, I, yeah. I mean to watch them rooting around. It's fun. As you, when you get a turtle, it's not just a turtle though. Like you, I have a separate tank here full of guppies and, uh, you know, Mexican dwarf crayfish that I'm breeding to feed my animals because I don't want to just give them turtle sticks. So it's funny when people think they're getting a turtle and you're, if you're going to do it right, you'll end up watching a ton of, you know, Greg's videos. You'll watch a bunch of different videos and you'll end up with all these different tanks in order to to care for your animal well, which is funny. Yeah. And I I tell people that, you know, before you get a turtle, any turtle, think long and hard about it because, you know, people call it a hobby, but it's not. It's it's a lifestyle. Right. A turtle is going to live longer than anything else in that pet store or anything else on that, you know, website. And so when you get a turtle, like you're taking on a real commitment. So it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so when you take that on, you know, you're going to move with it. So you're going to move, you know, cages. Maybe you're going to upgrade setups. If you get into building ponds, you know, you just improved its life, but you've also improved your own quality of life. I mean, I, I can have the worst day and I can go sit in my backyard and I've got like three or four ponds mm-hmm. near the water and, you know, the water is doing different things in each one. And I just got this new aquascape, you know, stream in my backyard. And, and so I have this like really peaceful environment that is a hundred percent for the turtles. And then the side benefit is like my quality of life is better because mm-hmm. I have this amazing environment i can just sit in and enjoy so turtles are a lifestyle turtles and tortoises are a lifestyle and 
if you want to call it a hobby and you want to treat it like a hobby, then, you know, you might not be invested enough. Right. Yeah. Sometimes people in the hobby will say like, oh, I want a more challenging thing. And it's like, you, you're not talking about it right, man. You shouldn't want to like, I don't know if I can care for this. Let's see if it's a challenge. Like, that's an animal, dude. Get out of here. Yeah. It's like if somebody told me they were, they skated as a hobby, I'd be like, dude, you don't skate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, skateboarding is a lifestyle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that's right. A, a hobby is like, you know, train sets in your basement or like, you know, you figured like, all the train people, man. Or something, you know, Those train people are all mad now. But, hey, train, being a, being a trainer is a, whatever they call themselves a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so good. <laughs> when you come with, uh, with live things. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's disrespectful when you have living things depending on you to call it a hobby. Yeah. 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 Oh, my That's kids good. are my hobby. Can you imagine saying that? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, so what you mentioned about about having ponds in your backyard and being good for your, your quality of life, I, I feel that same thing, man. When I'm super stressed uh, about work or, or school or whatever, and I can come look at – even looking at the guppies really helps me a lot. But I, I go down to the pond and I look for snapping turtles, and it just – Finally, I can take my mind off all this stuff going on because I'm looking for that turtle. And there's something about being in that state of mind when you're searching for stuff and you're focused and it just helps you like let go and you're in nature. So for me, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm In the Bible, one of the first things that man was called to do was taxonomy, was to name the animals, right? So we, we see God telling Adam, what do you want to name this? And so I find a theological uh, purpose behind that. Like we're made to rule over. And a lot of times people said dominion in like a... Uh, that means we freaking harvest all these alligator snappers. It's like, no, no, dominions, you care for them. And if you're going to harvest them, you do it in an appropriate way and you take care of the, the earth. You don't, you, you don't rape nature for your own benefit. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I, I've had people that have kind of put it that way too, where they, they think that the dominion means that like everything exists at our pleasure. And I think that it's, maybe it means that dominion is supposed to be more for us to be stewards and take care of these things because we are the the highest life form, you know, for better or worse, you know, it's our job to to take care of things because we can screw things up really quick a lot faster than we can fix things. So I think that um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being a a hairless ape. Uh, Yeah. And and it goes so quick, man. Like Australia is the the perfect test case. Florida is a pretty good test test case too. You know, you release one thing and you think it's going to eat something else. And then you get a whole host of problems from not thinking things through, from not talking to herpers like you, dude, which is so funny. Like anyone uh, who's looking for that next breakthrough in their paper should go and study uh, the snappers that live in Greg's backyard. But they need to actually talk to you, man, because if you come in out of nowhere and you're trying to find these turtles, talk to the guy who who knows. And this is his backyard. And I think oftentimes we do that. And we mess things up because we don't talk to the natives and we don't say like, what, what's up? What's what's going on? I need to talk to you at the ground level. You see it in the government all the time too, man. Being that ruled from the, the top. Thing. That's one of the great things about Pritchard is he mm-hmm. always believed in talking to the locals. He was yeah. like, these, these people live it. They'd know more than, than we do. If we want to learn anything, we need to talk to them. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, now sometimes there's a little bit of friction between academics and, you know, um, people like myself, maybe. I, I think some academics probably, you know, they take anything I say with a grain of salt because I don't have any paper with my name on it hanging right. on my wall that says anything. And, you know, I, for, you know, to them, I'm just a hillbilly, like, you know, the, the turtle man from Kentucky, you know, right, right, I have right. my teeth. So, um, 
I, I'm, I'm always, you know, willing to reach out and help anybody. And, you know, I've got friends that are really well known and really amazing turtle academics. Like my buddy Grover Brown is the best there is. You yeah. know, that guy, he's the next Peter Pritchard in my eyes. I love that guy. And then you got Luke Pearson, who's doing amazing work. And he shares it on the Alligator Snapping Turtle pages on Facebook with what he's doing in Mississippi. So I, I think that now that we're in this age of information, um, I don't think that it, anybody should really be hoarding information anymore. I think we're all going to end up getting to a point where, especially if we're all people caring about the same animals, we should all just kind of sharing it and working together. Um, and especially if we also are under threat people coming from out of this country to, to take, to take our animals. Right. Yeah. We all, I mean, I follow that dude. I know exactly who you're talking about actually in, in mine too. Um, yeah, dude, it's terrible. So finishing up, th- that's a great point that you made too. And, and the age of information is funny because you can do all the research yourself now. It's all, you can watch YouTube. And if, if someone's going to hoard their information, someone else is going to go and they're going to monetize it and they're going to make money off the YouTube video. And so you can find, you can give yourself a degree and I don't want to diminish the, uh, the academic side either. Like it's important. We need those guys to do that. We have to, and we need the lawmakers to listen to them too and open up stuff or close things down, whatever. But um, yeah, it's funny because in your videos and you've mentioned a couple Latin phrases and stuff here, but you're, you're good with the Latin. It's so good. I, I love yeah, hearing I, you speak about it. it you, you do the hard work of studying it too. Yeah. Yeah. I know all the Latin names. I mean, I, 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 when I, before I was 10 years old, I was memorizing the Latin names of everything because I wasn't reading books for kids. I was reading like field guides and encyclopedias and stuff. So I like, you know, I would ask my parents about, you know, how to pronounce this Latin name or that. And I don't even think they knew they just like, Oh, like this. So yeah, I, I think in my videos, I, I don't always go too far into Latin names because I want the information to be palatable. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody is really wanting to get into this and really interested, but you just start hitting them hard with a bunch of Latin names and right. scientific terminology, it's, it's really hard to, for somebody new to stomach that. And so, yeah. you know, I, I would like to be a bridge between completely new and then getting into it. I mean, if, if I want to, I mean, I can sit down and, and talk all the technical stuff and, yeah. um, you know, like you were saying, you know, it, we, we do need the academics. We do need the people with PhDs, especially, um, you know, for an example, like when they do want to make laws pertaining to turtles, whether it's captive, captive stuff or, you know, laws on, on wild animals, they're not really going to listen to somebody like me as much as they are that a guy that has PhD next to his name, right. you know? Right. So we're, we're all in this together. We need to work on it together. Um, and I, I just think that, you know, it's, it kind of comes back to the lifestyle thing. If, you, yeah. if you're in this lifestyle, if you're down for life, you know, you're ride or die, you're going to do what it takes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, man. Uh, some this, it's, it's frustrating for me in, in Illinois right now. I don't know if I'll stay here or not, but uh, I, I have a passion. I want to help alligator snappers come back. Um, I don't know how much they were affected here. I don't think a lot of people are harvesting them. Maybe it's just weather change kind of stuff. But And there's only a tiny population in southern Illinois. But uh, it would be sweet to breed them and help them here you know my, my other like more realistic passion because it takes forever for alligator snappers to breed would be um blandings and spotteds because those were something that was here that were completely destroyed almost uh by industrialization and it happens all the time here i look around and i say that's a really good mark over there i come back the next week and it's a it's a parking lot and yeah. it's like just nobody cares it's just i i need this property and it's like, i'm a capitalist i like capitalism but i like freaking turtles too man and i wish that you 
would take that into, into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with the alligator snappers in Illinois, you're talking about a fringe population, I mean, mm-hmm. the edge of their range. Yeah. And, you know, um, talking about the business of commercializing them, um, it would have been, if you think about it, it would have been such a pain in the butt to trap up there, get very few animals, you know, at all anyway, and then yeah. bring them down to Louisiana where the right. market was. So yeah. I don't really think that they were trapped that heavily there. I think there's incidental catch, trot lines, people mm-hmm. catching them on their own and eating them. But I don't think they're already so small anyways. Yeah. But, you know, blandings and spotteds, that's where those are turtles that are in Illinois. They're getting hammered to this day. They're mm-hmm. getting run over on roads. Um, I don't think we'll ever, and I think John had maybe even said this on your podcast, I don't think we'll ever see commercialization of turtles happen again, which right. is good. And I don't think anybody will ever allow it. But every day we're allowing people to build an old Navy and a Target mm-hmm. and all that stuff and just completely eliminate habitat and then build roads. And, you know, there's places in, I think Florida has a, an area. And then um, there's another state where they built like a bridge over yeah. the road for animals. And yeah, the so there's... Pole. Yeah, and Florida has one road where there's all these things under the road for turtles to pass under. So it, it just it costs more, you mm-hmm. know, and and so it, it's all about that comes down to those guys like sitting around in some office with their legs crossed, wearing the shoes with the tassels and swirling the sky. That's right. That's right. Those guys making the deal. And, you, you know, you got to make it worth it to those guys, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, Greg, so this, it all comes back. I want to close on this is, uh, to, to education. So I'm also, I'm a, I'm also a little government guy. And so people are like, well, how can you, how can you want to be for conservation and then also be like a small government guy and whatever, dude, I could change because turtles come first, I think for me. But, uh, for me, it's like, if, if you knew about spot turtles, if you knew about how cool blandings were, if you saw them, uh, and you knew what you were doing to that habitat, cause you think it's always some obscure, like, in, in TV shows, you, you, there's always like the tree hugger and he wants to save some obscure frog that no one's ever heard of or anything like that. And it's kind of, you, you laugh at him. You're supposed to laugh at him in the sitcom. But if you knew that, hey, actually there's a, a population of blanding turtles right there and you want to sell this land and you're going to destroy that whole, that's been here. Those turtles live for 60 years or whatever. You're going to, they've been here forever. You want to destroy them? If more people thought that way, moved up in, in if that moved up in our ethos, like things would change. Yeah. I mean, there's places where when they build something, they're required. I want to say it was Florida and then some parts of different cities where they'll say you need to leave a certain amount of natural area. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's a losing battle to try and completely fight people from building stuff. Right. right. I don't don't think we'll ever and until, you know, money doesn't matter. (laughs) Everybody's holding hands. Yeah. Um, I mean, we would all have to be on a bunch of mushrooms for that. So <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Yeah. I, I think that um, there's there's always going to be a place for, for conservation. And I I would like to hope that education, you know, like we're not, like I said, we're not going to reach those old guys, you know, right. sitting around making those deals, but right. might reach their kids or their grandkids. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, look at tattoos, you know. When I was younger, if you had tattoos, dude, you had to be like an ex-con or you had to have like served in the military and you got like some lousy tattoo in like, you know, Vietnam or something. But now tattoos are just like so like they're getting to be more commonplace. And that's a that's a change in culture. And that's a change in society. So mm-hmm. um, I think for something, you know, like like turtles and wildlife to, to be more important. I don't know, man. I, I see that as being a cultural change and I see it being totally possible. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I getting to be friends with Greg Woodstock, the pond guy and, and Aquascape mm-hmm. and, and their whole thing about living the Aquascape lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's a tagline, you know, hundred yep. percent it is, but it's also true. You know, the, the quality of these people's lives that, that have water features and are getting themselves back to nature, you know, um, I think anything that's putting people back in touch with nature, even if it's a pandemic and people can't go to work, so they start canoeing and kayaking. Yeah. You know, now, dude, this past year, we have had a huge amount of people that now have a better appreciation for the world around them. Yeah. Because that was all they were able to do. Yeah. That's you know? interesting. Yeah, man. That's so interesting. Greg, Greg's awesome. I, uh, I'd love to have that dude on too. He's over for any of the listeners. He's over uh, in St. Charles, Illinois. You guys should go get a pond from him and then let me come over and look at it. That would be awesome. Uh, Greg, man, this has been so awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and, and schooling us on all things. Um, I'd love to do it again. I got way more questions for you. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. I'm down to talk theology, philosophy, all kinds of stuff, man. Dude. I, I like your podcast. I love going down all different wormholes. Dude, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. We're we're similar in that way. I don't know what the personality type or whatever is, but I find it I, I find it in turtle people. Um I don't find it as you'll know more people than I will, but snake people to me are uh they got full sleeves, they love leather, um, they, they got black nails. Like this is a type of person <laughs> that at least in Illinois, that's snake people. They're everyone's there's different types of people. Like I like snakes. I want to get snakes too. But if you're an exclusive snake, you fit a certain, a certain type of person. And it's fun getting to meet these people I never would meet yeah. uh, otherwise. But uh, yeah, man, I, I appreciate everything you're, that you're about, everything you're doing. It's cool that you're a hobbyist. I'm sorry to use it, right? But but yeah. if that's cool. I think what's really cool is that you're, trans, you're transforming and you have transformed into a, a conservationist. And you're someone who's taken turtle from people who don't want them because – you recognize that as a, a living being that you want to care for. So that's been really cool to see too, man. So I appreciate that. Everyone go check out Greg's stuff. Can you, can you pitch it for us? Well, where, where can they find you at? Yeah. Greg's turtle Haven on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, um, across all platforms, just Greg's turtle Haven. Yeah. Um, and, uh, if you like turtles, if you don't like turtles, come check it out. Yeah. We're welcome to, to be a part of it. How about that uh, Flickr? How can people find the, those photos? Um, I, I think it's Snapper Greg. Okay. Flickr. I think Sweet. I started it a long time ago, and that was like a, a, a forum username or something I had. Okay. Uh, Greg, you got Patreon? I do have a Patreon, and okay. it's Greg Turtle Haven on Patreon as well. Okay. So if you guys have been motivated at all, encouraged by by what he's doing, go and give to, to Patreon. He's he's not just like for me, I, I like having them. I'm not doing any conservation work right now. Go and give to this dude. Like if you want to be about it, you know, go put your money where your mouth is. If you're excited about that, go find him on Patreon and support him. Yeah. And everything I make, whether it's off of YouTube or Patreon or anything, it just all goes back into the animals. You yeah. Know? I have a job. I love my job. And so anything I make off of YouTube and Patreon, it goes back into my animals. It goes back into setups, you know, even, you know, gas money to go herping to be able to bring, you know, what I see to, to my audience. So. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. All right. Well, um, this has been Parker's Pensies. We can talk about this more. Uh, um, Greg's going to come back. It's going to be awesome. But for now, it's going to have to do it. Uh, as always, all glory 